0: The true leaders in the game are people like yourselves that are willing to actually do something for the good of the growth of the game as it relates to affordability, accessibility, kids.
1: I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out, trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out, trying not to think what I'm thinking
2: Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another fire drill. This is a special one. We are going to talk about the reimagining of Golden Gate Park Golf Course. Those of you who've been following the Fire Pit Channels know that we've been we've been in the dirt from the very beginning. There's been videos, there's been stories, but we wanted to hear from the the protagonists. So I'm joined by Matt Janella, of course, um, also Dan Burke, CEO of First Tee of San Francisco, Jay Blasi, the golf course designer. And Josh Lewis, who's the project manager and, and the guru of all things agronomy. Um, but before we get to those, our special guests, Matt, let's pay a few bills. Tell, tell the people who's helping us, who's sponsoring this podcast. And, and just your general excitement level for this project is before we, we get deep in the weeds on this podcast.
0: Well, yeah, thanks to Dormy Workshop, the family business based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, who create all the fine leather goods, some of which uh, are in our pit shop at firepitcollective.com and in pro shops all over the world now. They they are very good at what they do. We love that uh, that we're partners with them and appreciate their support. And then Link Soul, obviously, um, the lifestyle brand that I've been wearing forever and always will, anything John Ashworth does. Uh, i i follow and uh and certainly as it relates to link soul and the the clothing that he makes and uh, what we wear a lot out at goat hill park um especially the outer wear. the hoodies are some of my favorites and uh, the shorts are very popular so thanks to link soul uh for all of their support and partnership and for everything they bring uh to the game of golf i will say that alan this and we get to it at the end of this podcast but the this group of people, this project, this reimagination of a community asset that um, you know was you know was surviving. I mean, they were getting you know upwards of forty thousand rounds a year. I cannot wait to see what happens next at Golden Gate Park and then other you know San Francisco municipalities uh, on the heels of what will be deemed a massive success for everybody involved here.
2: A Huge win. Let's, let's get to it guys. I was out at golden gate park with the three of you, Matt couldn't make it, but um, everyone else on this, on this little chat, we got to play the golf course for real uh, earlier this week. Uh, it's not open to the public just yet. Cause we're waiting for the, the clubhouse to finish, but golf is being played at golden gate. Let's just go around the horn. So Dan, now that you've seen this come to life, How excited are you and how pleased are you with the finished product?
3: Um, Yeah, I would say a 12 on a 10 scale, you know, um, we knew the site had great bones, but to actually execute the project to a pretty high standard with a lot of unknowns um, and now to see people play it or play it yourself, um, the number one, you know, word or feedback is the word fun, right? And that's exactly what we want, whether it's you know, a young girl playing or a, a, you know, a scratch golfer, an older retired guy, you know, it's unanimous feedback is that it's fun and it really is. So uh, I'm just, you know, thrilled that we were able to execute this to the standard it's at and can't wait to share it with, you know, the community and, you know, the golf world in general.
2: So Jay, we weren't in the same group, but uh, it was fun that you get glimpses of other other players and you get you see that you see shots and just just the four of us that that i was playing with out there so many times the ball is getting closer to the hole you know on on the fourth the little punch bowl everyone's like played off the left mound which i actually did perfectly it trickled all the way the, around the back of the green, and then and then took a hard right turn, came back to the flag, and like it looked like it might go in. Like there was a lot of shots out there where it felt like the ball was moving and usually getting closer to the destination, which is one of the the thrills in golf. I mean, for, for you to to hear the whoops and the and uh, and and see the the smiles, like what did it mean to you just to to see golfers having fun on your on the golf course you helped bring to life.
4: Well, that's that's what it's all about, right? I mean, that's what we set out to try and achieve. That's why we selected the turf types that we did. That's why we shaped the greens the way that we did is we wanted it to be a fun factory. And to your point, you know, one of the most fun things in all of golf is watching the ball move on the ground, and particularly when it's moving closer to the hole. And so uh, that was truly one of the most exciting things about the other day was to get to watch others hit shots that were you know they'd hit it beyond the hole and have a, a backstop that would bring it back or they'd hit it you know right of the hole and use a, a sideboard that would feed it there or they'd get on the green and then there'd be a putt that, uh, you know, they, they make a normal 20 foot putt towards the hole. And then they'd say, I want to try going this way instead. And they, you know, they'd turn their, their whole body and, and angle 90 degrees away and use the slopes and put it a different way to get to the hole. So it it was tons and tons of fun to, to watch that happen. And what it means is that people are out there making memories with each other. You could see them high-fiving and putting their arms around each other and, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just golf, but we really are uh, hopefully making memories for people that'll last a lifetime, and and that's very very rewarding. That's cool, uh, Josh. You know, the for a brand new golf course, the the
2: the turf was in spectacular shape. What are the challenges of of this particular site? And you have golfers out there while the course is still maturing. Like what is, what, what can golfers expect in the coming months on on how the course will keep shaping up? And, and what are the challenges now is you have to turn the reins over to the city at some point and, and let them maintain the golf course. Can you just speak to the, the playing conditions where they are and where they're going?
5: Yeah, I think, I think right now we're, we're pretty happy. Everybody's, you know, I think the golf course is, is good. It's ready to open. It's, you know, the, the golf balls are taking the slopes the way they're supposed to, the playability's there, but with any project like this, there's, there's a maturity uh, phasing, I guess, you know, we're kind of in phase one, you know, year over year as, you know, root health and turf health density, all these things continue to build. The golf course is going to get better and better. Um, so, you know, as we open, there's still going to be areas that are maybe a little softer than we like or not quite uh, turf, you know, isn't quite as dense as we want, things like that. But um, I think as we saw the other day, it's it's in a position where it's really fun to play. And that's the ultimate goal. Um, as it relates to the handoff to the city, I mean, those guys are are more than capable of doing a great job. Um And I think they're, you know, the energy around this is so good, you know, it's been such a collaborative effort so far that um, we should just see this thing continue to sing as it moves forward and just get get better and better. That's, that's the hope. Matt, everyone
2: knows you're kind of an apostle for for public golf and accessibility and affordability. Uh, Where do you think Golden Gate fits into the larger golf landscape now?
0: I mean, it goes from a guy from Northern California, who grew up in Santa Rosa, who frequented a lot of golf in and around San Francisco, and have you know had never played Golden Gate Park, uh, knew it existed, but had never heard. You got to go play Golden Gate Park. You should see Golden Gate. Never heard that. It goes from like off the national curiosity radar to on it. And not only just on it, but like at the top of a list, right? Like at the top of a list of people wanting to say, I got to, I got to see this, I got to play this. And then the chances are they're going to want to come back or they're going to spread, spread that, that gospel, spread that, that word, which is what golfers are so great at doing. I just did this. You got to go see it too. And I, I think that that's exciting for so many reasons, Yes. This is a hub of first tee. And, you know, Dan, we'll get into that. Like, you know, the intentions here at the core of what just took place at Golden Gate Park is that it's for the kids. It's for accessibility, affordability, fun factor, truly growing the game. That, you know, they planted seeds of fescue and bent grass greens, but they also, this is a a garden of growth. And that's going to be good for kids because with kids come adults and with adults and, and aging adults that are dealing with you know he- health and physical issues, this is walkable, this is accessible. Like it's just in the heart of one of the big cities in the United States that oh, by the way, needed a needed a PR win. first of all, I love San Francisco. I'm sad about the sort of the the sort of the state of the city itself. This is a huge win for San Francisco, for the game of golf, for kids for first tea, for fun factors, for all, it checks all the boxes. And tribute to everybody on this call. I know there's a lot of other people involved. And that's kind of my question to you, Dan, is it was, you know, you? it's one thing to say, and a lot of people do, oh, I want to I make this, this is underachieving. This could be better. This should be better. And you did something about it. I guess my question is, is like, from a donor's perspective, and I know some of them were out there the other day, What's, what's their, what's their feedback? Is this something worthwhile? And hopefully there are more donors around the country that will do something similar.
3: Yeah, I think, um, it's a good perspective, Matt is, um, you know, in my year, 10 years at first tee, which it's, it's really 20 years old, you know, as we've, you know, it's noted that Sandy Tatum started that right. And people give to people they respect for worthy causes, so you take an organization like First Tee, and our mission is really to change, you know, underserved kids' lives. And Sandy's perspective of this game that meant so much to him, not just from an athletic perspective, but a life perspective, right? The, the lessons he learned, the network he built, to take that to underserved kids made perfect sense to him very late in his life. And he was all in, right? And that kind of marching order um, that he brought to the community, um, that's still with us today. So our leadership looks at strategy very importantly, they take very seriously the impact we're having on the community and they're very conscious of like, we need to do more. So taking risk capital and investing it in the community for the greater good of, of our mission of helping underserved kids, that makes sense. So, um, You know, the Scott Sollers and Tom Kleins of the world who have, you know, helped Sandy lead this thing, they value what we do. Their networks and our donor base are very in tune with what our efforts are. So, this wasn't a play of like, hey, we're going to fix the city's golf course. That's a byproduct of it. But to use this incredible facility for the next 15 years to, you know, develop our programs even further, that's what made the most sense. And then the byproduct of the community benefit, the golf world benefit, the ag- agronomy, the sustainability—all of that are really, you know, um, they fall in in line after that first kind of pillar, which is our kids, right? So, you know, to you know, our our donor base is a lot of resourceful people. They listen when we ask or or educate them, and in this case, it made sense, right? And, you know, our leadership, myself included, was able to get, you know, some of our donors and some of first time people to really buy into the concept of how important this site is for us in the long term from a a growth perspective. And then understanding that, you know, it, it does have community value and that's why it got done, you know, and the park and rec, you know, and, and a lot of times municipalities take it on the chin, right? I mean, the city has Sharp Park and Lincoln, and there's always a lot of, you know, um, there can be, you know, negative things saying about those facilities. Well, they've been a partner of ours for 20 years. Um, They've shown that Harding Park can work, right? It's hosted major championships. They've taken good care of that golf course. And as Josh alluded to, they are capable, right? And so this whole concept of new clubhouse, new lease investment Um, They were all in on this, too, and and they value this just as much as we do and kind of the stars have aligned, you know, um, in a one off. But it's it's definitely um, repeatable around the country. Right. But there has to be community leaders to get behind it. And the synergies have to be there. And then I like the fact of a community grassroots effort you know, addressing problems in the local society. That was the selling point here. Not like, Hey, we're going to fix up a golf course, right? There's a community aspect to it, which really resonated with people that are willing to invest their money to, you know, for the better, betterment of the community.
2: People listening and they've, they've seen the content we put out on the fire pit channels. There folks are dying to play this golf course. And um, obviously the course is ready. when it's going to be open to the public kind of hinges on the clubhouse being finished. They've had some supply chain delays. For those who are hoping to book a tea time to Dan, what is your best guess of when the doors are going to open to the public?
3: Yeah, you know, that's definitely been a moving target. You know, we initially were talking, you know, targeting both golf course and clubhouse this fall, you know, sometime around October, November. There's been some things out of our control related to the city rebuilding the clubhouse. Um, And that continues to get moved, pushed a little bit. I think the public is playing golf in this golf course, you know, if not in January, you know, early February, it shouldn't be more than, you know, we're airing right now in, in early December. I would say 60 days is probably the back end, but hopefully more like 30 or 45 days. And we'll communicate to the greater public when we do have a definitive date of when we're going to open it. And then it's worth noting, you know, we have invested a lot of money in the property. Um, We want the city and their gardeners to take good care of it. And so we're going to be very conscious of how much traffic we put on the golf course um, you know, in the early stages, we won't, don't want to take a step back just by having too many people play the course. So we're going to, there'll be a little balancing act of like, what's the right number of rounds versus, you know, the excessive demand we assume we're going to experience when we first do open.
2: Another question is how much is going to cost? And again, the city kind of controls that, but the w- talking to folks uh, yesterday when I was on the golf course, it seems like The, the, the residence fees that that's capped, right? That can only go up $2 a year. So it's going to be in the mid twenties for, for city residents and for, for non-residents sounds like a target somewhere in the the mid to high forties greens fee is, is what's on the table. Does that sound right?
3: Yeah, that's probably accurate. You know, to your point, the, the park code protects the rates for the residents, you know, so. The, the residents are going to, you know, a, a, a regular San Francisco resident going to play the course for 20, 25 bucks weekday, weekend, extremely affordable, especially by San Francisco standards. I think we'll probably start the non-resident rate around $40 weekday, maybe 50 weekend. You know, and we do have, um, we, we can adjust that up or down with that, that part of the rates for the non-resident. So we'll let supply and demand kind of take care of that. But um, you know, in San Francisco to come play a place like this, you know, for $40, to me, by California Bay Area standards is great value. Um, and that'll kind of be the starting point.
2: Yeah, and it's also just part of the experience, right? If you go play the golf course, you're probably gonna walk around the park. You might go have lunch on the beach. Like it, it's it's because of where it's situated it becomes part of a day it's it's not just drive to a golf course drive away like i i think people will be encouraged to to explore the park and and the whole neighborhood there and that it's another win for san francisco like like matt was talking about um so you know jay this matt alluded to the fact that you donated your services as as a northern california resident and someone who just loves loves golf i'm i know it was really Emotionally satisfying to be part of this project. It's also, you know, a chance to spotlight your talents. And I think when people play these greens and play this golf course, they're gonna, they're gonna know more about your design philosophy and, and what else you're working on. Can Can you give listeners kind of a, a little look into where you are in in your career? Because there's never been a more interest in golf course architecture, and and uh, I, I think this this is gonna be a big moment for you.
4: Yeah, well, you guys have done a, a great job of kind of documenting the process and, and getting that out there. And I think that's great. And it's fun to kind of let people behind the curtain a little bit to to see what goes into designing and building a golf course. So we're really grateful for all your efforts on that front. But no, I mean, it's it really is a a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, I grew up playing municipal golf courses, starting out at a par three, you know, moving up to an executive nine, then the big nine, then the big 18. And so um, the idea of crafting a golf course where people are going to play their first round of golf and having it be something more than just a field right you know so many people get started in golf and the the facility that they f- first swing a club on you know maybe they're hitting off mats there may or may not be turf you know they're certainly not likely to have a compelling architecture behind it here we've got a situation where you've got this unbelievable facility right in the in the heart of the city in Golden Gate Park it's been a treasured part of the community for decades many people will will play their first round of golf there and you've got you know the soils that are perfect for golf that are so rare to find that you know people like Mike Kaiser you know scour the ends of the earth to find this type of sand you're within a few hundred yards from the ocean you've got these magical cypress trees the topography that's out there is just ideal for golf. It's really exciting and compelling to uh, you know, ascend up to the the top of the knoll and then look out and get the big view and then drop down and, and see. So um it's just really such a dream opportunity and and the connection to the first tee that it was easy to get behind. You know, my hope is that people will come and have a great time and say, wow, this was fun. You know, we talked about it earlier, but the the key word is fun. And and, you know, with any project that I take on, my my goal is to try and there's kind of two facets. One, help the client achieve their goals, and two, to try to maximize the potential of the site. And, you know, I think, um, I think we did a, a great job on those fronts in terms of you know, this site had so much potential with the the sand that was there, the topography that was there. It just needed a, um, you know, kind of to peel back some of the layers and expose some of those areas and, and take full advantage of it. And and so again, just, just such a dream opportunity and really lucky that we had a great team to help us get there.
0: On, on, let me just jump in there because I know we were going to use this podcast as, you know, to make sure that some of the stuff that we were, we've been documenting isn't everything, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do have and we, you know, that we still can't share everything, but some of the people that were a part of that team and some of the people that are going to continue to be a part of the team to, to maintain and run and operate this facility obviously deserve some, 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 talk and credit and mention. So uh, I know you brought in a several other shapers. Uh, we, we we would see them out there when we were out there. Can you talk about who you brought in and what they brought uh, to the team and, and to the party, so to speak?
4: Yeah, that's a great point. We really want to make sure that they get their due. Um, and, and it's a big team, right? So I'll talk about the shapers and then maybe Josh can talk about Some of the folks on the irrigation side and other side. And then there's people on Dan's team as well that have been there every step of the way that really deserve some uh, kudos as well. But, you know, from the shaping side of things, one of the real challenges with this project was that we didn't get approval to start the project till February 15th. We started on March 6th, and we knew that we were trying to get our grassing done by June. And so we had this really tiny window. And, you know, as you alluded to earlier, construction's never been busier. People are booked up all over the place and whatnot. And so we were super lucky to be able to kind of recruit uh, three talented guys who came in in different little spurts. And you know they each worked in different parts of the golf course, and so there's a, a fun little game to play to try to figure out who did what. I, I'm not sure anybody could do that. Hopefully, we did our job. If they can't figure that out, uh, but our, our 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 shaping law firm of of uh, Carlton, Hochstein, and and Nelson is is very very talented. So uh, Justin Carleton was somebody who I had never met before. I knew of him. We have a mu- couple of mutual friends. And we were in a state in the middle of the project where we needed some shaping help uh, on short notice. I, Justin is based in Florida. I called him on a Wednesday, and he was here on a Thursday. Uh, so that's a pretty... Uh, pretty good indication of of how special the project was uh to to people in the golf world when they heard about sand and ocean and topography and all that that they jump on a plane within 12 hours to get here to help out and so uh he brought great talent uh very creative ideas and and just kind of the perfect how can i help attitude to the project uh Brett Hockstein is somebody that I've worked with uh down at Santa Ana before um and he's uh, uh uber talented uh particularly as it relates to kind of the the bunkers and the details of some of our sandscapes he was kind of our bunker and sandscape guru guy uh came back in and and touched all those up and has a really brilliant eye for some of those things and and helped us out tremendously and and he he kind of came at multiple uh periods of the project to help us out and added great value and then robert nelson's another guy with and. Brett's local; he's a Bay Area guy, and Robert's another guy who had ties uh, to the Bay Area. is from the area; has got family in the area. He was uh, in North Carolina, but we were able to get him to come out, and uh, and he dove in and provided great value and and creativity. Uh, really excelled at kind of the finish it, finish work, and would get out there uh it was hand-raking all sorts of areas and and just uber committed to all the fine details of everything and so each each one of those guys really brought great creativity, ideas, you know th- this project is so much better because of their involvement and we uh just uh, couldn't be happier uh to have them as part of the team.
2: Uh, Josh, before you get into your people, tell the listeners why Fescue You know, that's a a rare and special grass and people identify it with Scotland and maybe Ireland and, um, you know, championship level uh, golf courses and the open Rota and that sort of thing. But why why fescue on on this golf course?
5: Well, from our perspective, you know, when we start talking to clients about their project, you know, grass selection is one of the big key factors, right? Depending on where you're at. and I have personal connection to fine fescue with, you know, between Bannon Dunes and Chambers Bay and my time spent there. But the reality is we want the best grass for each specific site that we work. You know, if it's somewhere in Southern California, it's probably going to be Bermuda grass or Coogee grass, you know, up here, there's a, a lot of different turfs we can grow depending on um, the specific location, you know, the microclimates in the Bay Area and Northern California, um, with this specific site, you know, fescue is such a unique animal in that it needs well-drained soils. It needs a low traffic environment, um, You know, but the benefits of fine fescue are, you know, low chemical use, low, um, you know, low input overall, great uh, drought tolerance once established, uh, low fertility once established, all these things. Right. And so when you think about city of San Francisco, Golden Gate Park, um, you know, overall sustainability, you sit here and you start to have all of these boxes checked right for what fescue can provide. And then we started looking at, okay, it's on 50 to hundred feet of dune sand. It's in a cool moderate climate where something like Bermuda grass would not thrive. It's going to be a walking only facility, um, with relatively low, you know, cart traffic, things like that. And you're going, okay, well it checks all the boxes for if we can plant it. And it also checks all the boxes for if we should plant it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, and then, you know, from like Jay's perspective and my perspective, we're sitting here, well, we know how great it plays. And so it, you know, you're always looking to those like unicorn sites where it's going to work because it does play so great. And uh, again, you know, we cliche of the stars aligning, it really did around this turf selection. And I really hope, and I, and I believe that this is a, a was a great decision you know, for the for the long-term future of this property as it relates to what you know, Record Park can do with it and and it really lines up with their mantra and their um, ideals around how they want to manage their golf courses in the city as well. So just I mean it, it, it fit in every aspect.
2: Uh, and it's great for beginners, right? Because there's nothing more discouraging when you're learning how to play golf. And you, you kind of top a shot or you, you don't catch it right and it, it travels about six feet and just stops dead in long grass. And then right. the next shot's even harder because you're in this thick, rough. And um, I mean, it's kind of user-friendly for people who are learning the game, or maybe seniors who don't get a lot of launch. Like it seems like that that has some benefits.
5: Saw a few of those the other day, you know, <laughs> bottom two grooves on the golf club and it still worked out. So yeah. great <laughs> Um, As far as, as far as the team goes, I think Jay, you know, Jay put it really well as a release to the shapers. It was really the same on the contractor side. I mean, a lot of the projects that we're working on, you know, are two and three years out because frankly speaking, that's what it takes to get a team together. Generally. Uh, The fact that this team came together in literally a matter of two to three weeks is I still don't, totally see how it worked out that way. (laughs) Um, it really was a, a a project that was meant to happen, but, um, you know, the shapers I'll just really quickly with those guys. I mean, the fact that they were able to come in on the rotation that they did give us, you know, and lend us their talents on that rotation, all three bought into the overall vision that Jay had and the concept and, and then put their own little micro unique spin on, um, you know, how they saw things unfolding. I think it just all came together for such an awesome, awesome golf experience. And it, it's, it's unique and interesting and different in, you know, how each shaper puts their talent on things, but also it all came together and provides this really seamless journey through the property. So credit to those guys, credit to Jay, um, how that came together. As far as the contractor side I kind of started having conversations with a couple of guys that I knew, you know, were local and would probably have um, interest in this going back to probably like August, September, the year prior, just said, Hey, I think we have a project pretty sure we're not going to know until, you know, like two, three weeks before we're supposed to start. Can you guys, can you guys work with us on this? And uh, thankfully uh, they were able to, we had to get creative with the earthwork. We actually used a, a great here, uh, local contractor, excavation contractor to help us with kind of the removal of all the organic soil that was on top of the sand, Duran and Venables. And I had some relationships with them kind of going back to my time, uh, working here at local private clubs and they were great. You know, um, I'm still marveled that they didn't just walk off the property when we got the rain that we got in March and they <laughs> getting equipment stuck and everything else. and And everybody just kind of, marched forward with a great attitude and, and really, you know, Hey, that piece of equipment isn't working. Let's try a new one. You know, let's try a different one. We did that about four or five times. Um, and ended up just quietly and happily getting to the end, uh, of that part of it. And then, you know, a couple of, um, We call them, you know, project MVPs, but our irrigation contractor is, is, uh, kind of a local legend, Brett Staples, park consultants, and based out of Pacific Grove, um, literally it's him and, and two guys, and he runs a great little company and helps out a lot of local golf courses here. Um, you know, ranging from the Cypress points of the world to, um, you know, the city of Walnut Creek. So he's kind of all over the place and does all different levels and really uh, somebody of uh, high integrity and honesty and, and work ethic and just uh, one of those people that's rare to find these days. That's that's going to operate really well on a handshake, you know. And those are the kind of people that we were able to get involved in this and um, everybody's attitude was phenomenal. It all ended. Uh, in a place where everybody was very excited about it, happy about it. The energy never got, we never got to a negative point in the project. It was always, everybody enjoyed coming here um, from the first day to the last day. And that that's a really special thing. If you've ever been a part of a construction project of any magnitude, that generally doesn't happen. There's always a low point. And we never really had that. And I attribute that to the group that was brought together to work on this, you know, from the, from the contractors to the shapers, to Jay and Dan being an awesome client, you know, the city, um, it was, it was a really special thing to be a part of. So, and I also want to mention, you know, a couple of strategic partners in this that, um, you know, have just really helped us out along the way too. uh, Turfstar, uh, our local Toro distributor, um, you know, I, uh, I can't say enough about them. They've come out and then there's even things that Dan and Jay don't know about that. They've been able to help me with, you know, just dropping off mowers when we need it or coming out to adjust how to cut, you know, I'm in the area. Do you need anything? Um, definitely one of those where, you know, unsung on that front, you know, there's been a lot of community that's come together on this thing uh, to make it happen. And I'm sure I'm forgetting names, but um try to mention them all at some point.
4: Maybe, uh, West coast turf and, and, uh, Russ Russ Mitchell and Chris Mitchell, you know?
5: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Russ and Chris, uh, on the, on the irrigation design side. And then, uh, yeah, definitely the West coast turf guys coming out getting their hydro seeders stuck in the sand, uh, (laughs) multiple times (laughs) trying to get into places that I was trying to get them to. And, um, again, the list is very long, but, uh, point being everybody did it with the right attitude, the right energy and, and knew the goal
0: there's a lot of people, Dan, that are are making you look really smart, aren't they?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. um, You know, it's interesting, you know, we're finally at the end game, which is so rewarding, you know, but going back several years ago, you know, as our lease was up and we're thinking, do we want to stay in the golf operating business? And, you know, we did a lot of modeling fiscally, right? I I mean, operating golf course isn't our first line of business, right? It's but we're in it because of the kids, right? It's an important strategy. But, you know, working on fiscal models of and coming up with a new creative lease agreement and and could we fundraise in and, you know, our leadership, Scott Sollers, you know, just kind of taking the reins and, you know, we fundraised nearly $3 million in a matter of months, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen that often unless you have a strong brand and a, and strong people behind it um you know gentleman chris williams who sits on the nonprofit board you know was there every step of the way from a fiscal perspective so it definitely takes a village it helps that it's a great village and um you know at the end of the day we're so excited to get this thing done and can't wait for everybody to see it you know it's such a massive win dan you might want to uh
4: Share a little bit, you know, when people come out to the golf course, when it is open for public play, they're probably going to run into Joe and Riley. You want to talk a little bit about them and uh,
3: we we can all share what they bring to the table? Yeah, you know, we have a a, we kept staff there, you know, even though we're closed and those guys have done everything from, you know, helping pick weeds or you know, fixing fences that fall down in the night to like trying to get ready for to operate a new business that's going to be radically different than the business before, right? I mean, we anticipate probably, you know, 45,000 rounds, we'll do excessive food and beverage, um, big first tea programs, right? So those guys have been there with Jay and Josh every day, you know, doing daily tasks that maybe they haven't signed up for. And in the meantime, they get ready to kind of open up and run a whole new business. So, They've been rock stars as well through the project. Um, yeah, as, as Josh alluded to, there's just too many names to to you know to mention. But um, we've been very fortunate to have the people that have been involved and and have supported this project.
2: I, you know, a natural question that comes out of this project is, what's next? I mean, golf fans know that there's been this movement to save Sharp Park and take it back to the Alistair McKenzie roots. Uh, I saw Richard Harris out at, at, at Golden Gate the other day. He's, he's been the driving force behind Sharp Park for a long time. Um, I mean, is is this a blueprint perhaps? Because, I mean, there's other city courses that need a lot of love and like Golden Gate, they have great bones, they're on great sites, they could be amazing destinations for public golf and oh, by the way, moneymakers for the city of San Francisco, but it would probably take more private investment and more collaboration. but. Is this is this maybe a um, a prelude to to some more ambitious projects locally?
3: You know, um, a, a few things, right? I mean, you had Harding get turned around, you know, decades ago, right? Hosting major championships. Um, you have this project with Golden Gate Park. So, a couple things are at play. It's one, the City of San Francisco and the Reckon Park, Phil Ginsburg, they value their golf properties more than they ever had, even though. From a budgetary standpoint, golf is such a small percentage of their overall budget. They're paying attention to it more than ever. They value their assets more than ever. Um, And then to show the private donors investment world like, hey, this is possible and it has such a great positive impact on kids or the community those things are lining up pretty strongly. And so a lot of the detraction of like municipalities and like, you know, it doesn't make sense. All those things are kind of those negative side are kind of being overcome. So I would say now more than ever, you know, anything's possible. Um, Those, you know, Lincoln Park and, you know, Sharp Park are two phenomenal public golf courses, right? But they are in need of infrastructure and other things but Harding and now Golden Gate Park, you know, absolutely a model that private-public partnerships can work for the betterment of the community. Um, it takes time and effort, but, you know, we'll see what happens from here. I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we might see more of these types of things happen, not only locally, but hopefully around the country.
0: I, I'm That's thinking. a yes. <laughs> it is, you know, this is, this is not, you know, going back to. Beth Page and Harding and Torrey, and then having it trickle down to places like Keeney Park or or WP Nine Goat Hill Park Canal Shores now Belmont and Richmond like this this is this is an ongoing thing. This is a real trend in golf. I, I this is you know you don't the good news here is this is yet another layer on top of this cake. In which people can use as an example of what's possible if you have local leadership like John Ashworth or like someone like yourself, Dan, or like, you know, a Sandy Tatum or someone who says, hold on, let's identify an issue. Let's I let's let's formulate a plan. Let's look around and see where this plan and this process has benefited Bobby Jones in Atlanta. You know, this is happening all over the place and it, that's what's so cool and fun and exciting about this and jay you pointed out about how you know uh, the the par three course is a trend but mostly that's happening at resorts where you got to pay a premium that the really cool thing about this being a par three course winter park nine's an executive goat hill parks an executive belmont's kind of they went to a par three plus a version of of Tillinghast old you know old original you know th- this is this is, to me, what's the most exciting thing about this momentum and movement, the the architecture and sustainability, the teamwork makes a dream work. Like, right? Like, isn't that what's what you like? That's why people moved heaven and earth to be a part of this or stop by and said, how can I help or how? Because it is feeling like this, this organic, you know, growth. And, and why I say the true leaders in the game are people like yourselves, uh, you know, and, and that are willing to actually do something for the good of the growth of the game as it relates to affordability, accessibility, kids.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, again, that's what excited all of us uh to be part of this is is that we saw that opportunity, we saw the impact that it would have on the on the community, the idea that you could have something that's equally as compelling as the sandbox at Sand Valley or the preserve at Bandon and have it in a local community where people can get there on their bike or by a muni bus, right? Those those things are are really exciting and and to your point there are other examples around the country where where good and has happened and public private partnerships have worked and hopefully this is the tip of the iceberg that there you know whether it's you think about just about every major city in the country uh has their park and rec system or whichever umbrella it's under uh is going to have um multiple golf courses and odds are they're lacking in infrastructure. They're maybe not architecturally compelling. Maybe they're not uh, thriving from a business standpoint. And hopefully uh, the light bulb will go on that that there's opportunity there. And uh, with the right people involved, that uh, a dramatic transformation can happen. And, and that transformation is going to positively impact generations of golfers.
2: I'm just to speak to the value that, that Dan mentioned earlier not to pick on Peter Hay, but it is kind of the nearest par three that's been redone recently. And that's 75 bucks and it's on a tight little cramped site. Half the holes are just little knockdown, you know, half swing, 60 degree wedges. And I mean, Golden Gate is a big, expansive piece of property. It's almost triple the size, the footprint of Peter Hay. And you know, the first hole I hit six iron and it's uphill, a little into the breeze. I think it was 155 on the ground playing about 175. Like you have to swing away at Golden Gate a few times. And there, there's some, you know, I think the last hole maybe hit an eight iron. Like, you know, it was playing about 155. I mean, there's some meaty par threes. It's it's not, you're not just bunting it around. Like sometimes you feel like, you know, the cradle at Pinehurst is wonderful. Everyone loves it. But again, it's a lot of little holes. I mean, Golden Gate feels like like a big ballpark for a par three and you have to hit a lot of different shots. And because the, you know, the holes are long, you're going to miss some greens and then you have some really fun short game options. So, um, and you know, to to get that much of a golf course for 40 bucks, I, I think is incredible.
3: You know, Alan, to your point, I mean, you know, there's a lot of phenomenal private clubs in our neighborhood, right? I mean, some of the top 20 courses, top 50, top 100 courses in the world, you know, from my lens, you could take any of the nine holes at Golden Gate Park, any single one of those, drop them over at the neighboring private club as a par three on those courses, and it would fit in perfect and be a very good hole at any of those courses, right? So to me, that from that lens, um, boy, it's just phenomenal nine you know, great little holes, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, people who don't know the geography of San Francisco, Harding Park, the Olympic Club… San Francisco Golf Club, Lake Merced—they're uh, all clustered in uh, the, you know, the western edge of yeah, yeah. Cow Club, exactly. Kind of western edge of San Francisco, and to get to Golden Gate Park Golf Course, you, it's just about what ten-minute drive up the coast. I mean, it's yeah. so I think you'll get a lot of that spillover play where um, you know a guy goes and plays Cow Club, he wants a little more golf, but he's not—he's not ready for another eighteen holes. Like just why just jump, jump in your Tesla and drive over to, uh, to uh, maybe a Range Rover if you're perfectly incorrect. And you just, just head over to Golden Gate park. And, uh, I mean, it, it's a perfect sort of afternoon stroll when you just need a little more golf. So it is going to be an incredible community resource. And the first T kids are going to be the big beneficiaries, but I think hardcore golfers are still going to go over there and, and play it and see it
3: right, from Cal club. They're probably actually going to need to take an Uber.
0: <laughs> the, uh, you know, I think I I got some time. I wasn't there on this last outing, but I was there a couple of weeks ago when the course was playable and we hit some shots and we met up with some of the locals. Haley, who started her own women's group, who lives around the corner and has played it for 20 years, doesn't have her own handicap because it just she doesn't ever play 18 holes. She can now eventually start uh, registering scores, which is cool, but she's so excited to get back there, out out there. Gary Giubini, Gary Giubini, who's been playing this golf course since he was five years old with his dad and played in the, in the, in the, the family event, I guess, at Golden Gate Park. And for him, he was admittedly a little bummed to have the course closed, but because you guys allowed him the occasional access and he got to walk around and be a part of the process, and he, you know, said summarize the whole thing as like incredible or amazing, you know, and, and being able to watch him now, uh, you know, he's, uh, uh you know, older in age, he's gone away from golden gate park now coming back and to me, like that's, that's the most kind of coolest, exciting thing about this. In addition to the kids. And we, we, we talked to Abe who, you know, made his first par on the second hole and, and Haley had her first hole-in-one on what is now the eighth hole and can't wait to see if she can have a hole-in-one on now what is now the eighth hole. Like, the locals are just, like, champing at the bit to get back out there and experience what is essentially a new golf course for them. What a gift.
3: It is a, a true local spot, right? It is GOAT. You know, it is NorCal version of that, right? It's it's all about the people that live locally. Um, I, there's definitely going to be a new new segment or sector of the population that are going to want to come see it. And hopefully we'll be able to, uh, you know, exceed everybody's expectations.
0: (laughs) The only thing bad about Golden Gate Park is it's only nine holes. It needs to be like 27. You got to get more park, Dan, get more park.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, My, my line is, yeah, you can go play two through eight anytime you want.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I do want to jump in and say, you know, you talked about first hole in ones out there. Uh, we're we're having some preview play out there a little bit, and uh, the last forty eight hours or so, I've got I've gotten to witness three of them. So uh, we had the first one on number two Saturday morning, and then on Tuesday we had one first swing of the day. On hole number one you get up first swing of the day uh jack knocks it in and the beauty of it is that it, it, you know he, he hits it you know 15 feet left it goes 10 feet past the hole and then it just trickles back in uh and that was one that you could you didn't know it was in or not until you got up so you had to wait until you walked all the way up the hill and peeked in the hole and saw that it was there and then uh a good friend of mine, Jason Bruno uh links nation on Twitter, he flew in from South Florida to join us. Uh, and he makes one 20 minutes before sunset on on eight, where he throws it beyond the hole and then it just trickles and you know, it takes 10 seconds for the ball to to move 10 feet and trickle back in. And then it, you know, by the time it goes in, you know, everybody's, you know, doing cartwheels and high fiving and bear hugging on the tee. It's it's uh <laughs> It's pretty fun. So, if you need to make an ace, call me up. I'm happy to escort you around Golden Gate Park.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know where to set the pins, too. Uh, <laughs> Josh, I just talk for a second because, uh, you know, we've been simultaneously working. Golden Gate Park and Pasa Tiempo, Santa Cruz to San Francisco, restoring <coughs> Alistair McKenzie Greens to, rest- you know, renovating this little local nine hole par three course. And you. <coughs> you know, you've had, you've, you've really been on, you know, boots on the ground at Golden Gate Park, but also consulting with and 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 being another set of eyes for Justin Manden and Jim Rubina at Tiempo. My worlds collided as I was at Pasatiempo. <laughs> you come rolling up in a cart. I was like, wait, where?" did I take a wrong turn? That's Josh Lewis in a cart at Tiempo when I was, you know, just saw you at Golden Gate Park. But to watch simultaneously these two projects happening, at two public facilities on two very opposite ends of the spectrum in you know price point, business model, degrees of difficulty, like how crazy has it been for you to be going sort of back and forth from these two and watching all of this unfold uh, you know in kind of your your neck of the woods?
5: I've had a I've had a pretty good year. It's been a pretty, nice, it's been a pretty, where do you go
0: from <laughs> here? How do, you, how do you top this? You're done.
5: <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, I, I kind of, you know, this has been a 25 years of doing this, and it's been a, it's been a, a pretty awesome experience this year to have, you know, a client like, like Dan in the first tee and be able to be a part of this project, work with a buddy and Jay and, you know, put something out there for the local community in the first tee. And then, and then on the, like you said, on the other end of the spectrum to be a part of something so special at Posse and, you know, be able there to, to support a, one of my best friends and Justin and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for both of those opportunities, but yeah, I think the 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 ties that bind, right, are the public access, and you know where where Marion Holland started out at Pastiempo and wanting to make sure that that remained a a facet of that business forever, um, you know, and then to look at the the way that you know that's really the primary goal of Golden Gate is is you know the first tee, Outer Richmond, Outer Sunset, you know, twenty five bucks, you know, that's. That's that's truly growing the game in that regard too. But um, yeah, I, it, it, two of the most special things I've ever gotten to do, and I got to do them at the same time in the same year is is pretty incredible.
2: That's awesome. And I was just reading um, on a Well, a, a named golf website they had this big write up of the Tree Farm and Old Barnwell, these two courses in South Carolina that are geographically pretty close to each other. And it was an interesting article. and They sound like cool places, but 99.99% of the readers will never get to play either one because they're private. And so it's kind of like, what's the point? You know, why are you even, why am I even reading this story? Um, because it doesn't, it's not applicable to the golfing public. But Pasta Tiempo and, of course, Golden Gate are open to everybody. And that's just something that you have to shout from the rooftops because it, it's rare in this game. You know, the, the most celebrated courses, the ones that people obsess over, all the lists, all the, you know, the, the sunset photos on, on Twitter. I mean, most people can't play them, which is obnoxious. And so, um, the fact that, that, you know, Pasa tempo is, is top 100 course, everyone's going to get to play. And, and now golden gate is going to be its own, this magnet. I just think it's such a, it's so meaningful. It means a lot to me and Matt to spotlight these stories. And obviously it's that passion that, that drew the three of you guys into this, this project at golden gate. So, um, hat tip to, to, to y'all for, um, you know, flying the flag for for public golf it's really it's never been more important
0: hey dan i'm curious from a first t perspective and i i'm honest don't know and you've alluded to the fact that you know generally you guys don't you know manage facilities right you kind of utilize facilities as these hubs of of opportunities to reach uh reach kids and and have an impact on the greater good do you think from a blueprint standpoint and back to that question, do you think first T you know, the national first T is got an eye on this and this will ultimately end up impacting any other first T facilities going forward. Like, is this, is this something within first T that is that you think might happen more or, 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 or to be determined?
3: Uh, good question, Matt. I mean, so, you know, you take the 150 plus chapters around the country, um, There are First Tee chapters already operating golf courses, right? You know, it's not rare to have a municipal facility look to the local First Tee after it's growing and say, hey, here's one of our golf courses. Why don't you take this over? So that precedent's been around for a while. What will get people excited for this particular project is leveraging what First Tee is doing in their own community to raise private funds to invest in those properties for the long-term success of the chapter. Right. I I think that's the added layer here is where we've used our donor base who are already supporting first T and they understood like, this is a play for us to control this course and access at an important program site for the next 15 years. That synergy, I think is going to really, you know, um, show for the first team network that this is possible, you know? So uh we hope, you know, it helps the groundswell of, you know, the first Ts are successful right now and, and the growth is there and the demand is off the charts. Right. So hopefully with, you know, community grassroots efforts to raise money, you can see, you know, projects like, you know, Brett Schneider did in Richmond and hear what we've done in, in, San Francisco, um, that can happen in a Sacramento or a Seattle or you know other first T hubs around the country.
0: You know the the National Links Trust, obviously. You know I think Jay, you were on a you were possibly on a panel recently. Steve Leary, the mayor of Winter Park Nine at the time when that uh pro you know got put through and went from losing two hundred and fifty grand a year to now being a money maker like. You know what? You know Will Smith, obviously being a you know one of these people worth mentioning as a true leader, trying to rally a community and private you know funding and getting the effort to try to like make a difference. Uh, is there best practices to be shared here? Are there tips or thoughts? You know, John Ashworth gets you know pinged constantly. What what do I do? How do I do it? How can I do this? How can I do what you're doing? I have a local course that needs. Help. What do you guys have? Little things that you will ultimately end up sharing with others on on what can or should be done to make a difference.
4: Yeah, we talked about that at the the National Links Trust. Uh, they, they have an annual uh, symposium on municipal golf, and they have different panels. and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to serve on the architecture panel uh, two years ago, and then and then back uh, just a month ago. And that was one of the things that we talked about is, is, you know, how do you, how do you pull it off? And so some of the things that we talked about were, you know, relationships, right? So obviously Dan, uh, being at, at Golden Gate Park, uh, and with the first tee for, for 10 years, he's built those relationships within the city. So when it came time to work on a, a lease negotiation, they knew who that they, who they were talking to. So identifying the right team members who have the right relationships, I think is critical. And then, you know, Dan can probably speak to this, but then if you are trying to put a project together and and a plan together, you know, trying to identify a team that's going to be all in and invested, right, and and is in it for the right reasons, oftentimes that's finding people who have a, a tie to that community, whether they live there locally or grew up in the area or who's, who's going to pour their heart and soul into the project and and give it everything that they've got and and pull everything uh, together. So, and, and, you know, there's so many aspects to it, whether it's the operations or the fundraising or the marketing or the design and the construction, there's all those things, but, but at the end of the day, stuff gets done because of people. And so it's identifying the right people and setting them up for success, I think is the key.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah, I think Jay hit it on the head. Right, one, we've had a long-standing positive relationship with the Rec and Park. Right, they love us as an operator. We see this as a, a, a you know important strategy in the long term. And then you have, from the funding perspective, our long-term donors. You know, have invested for the last twenty years, so reinvesting makes sense to them. Especially if it made sense for us from a programmatic standpoint. And it's not easy to accomplish, but it is doable. To Jay's point, if the right people are in the room, um, so you're right, Matt. It does take people from the local community to band together. You know, look at things very strategically and smartly, and do some diligence. But ultimately, if you can get the right people in the room, you know things like this can not happen.
4: I'll just follow up real quick and just say from city side of things or from the municipality side of things, what you want to try and identify is who's the person on that side of the table that can get get you to the win, right? Because municipalities are inherently set up with layers and layers of red tape and all these different processes, whether it's RFPs or things like that, that that are just barriers to success in so many ways. And so identifying the person within the municipality who can be your partner, who can, who can navigate those waters, who can find the way to get to yes, as opposed to listing the 12 ways that we're going to end up at no. And, and that, that person is as critical as
5: anybody. I think, I think too, one thing in working with a couple of different municipalities is, some things are transferable, you know, some things that Dan has been able to do as city of San Francisco will work, you know, regardless of the municipality, but each city is going to have very specific things that are unique to them that you need to understand and be flexible in working with, and you know, figuring those things out. You know, I think that's one of the things that Dan's done a really good job of with city of San Francisco. And we've had this conversation quite a bit through this project is, you know, this is, this is just how it needs to be done. This is, you know, I know there's an ideal or I know there's a way we'd like to do this, but this is the way we need to do it. And understanding those key things, depending on which city you're working with, I think is really important. Each region of the country is going to have different priorities and, um, you know, learning, learning their system, being a master of their system.
0: This is so yeah, cool. Yeah,
2: it is. I mean, Dan, you said the key is to get the right people. I, I think it's obvious to the listeners, like you guys are the right people for this job. Um, it, you know, we've, we've been talking about Golden Gate Park going back to February. Now, now it's here and, uh, it's just a delight. Um, I, I think, everyone who's listened to this podcast is going to want to go play it. I would encourage them to do so. It's, it's just a really special thing. Uh, and it's been fun for us to be a part of, um, seems like a good time to draw this podcast to a close. Anyone
0: have any final thoughts before we release the listeners? I just, I just want to say that I think it's cool from an architectural standpoint that Jay, you know, yeah. I know, you know, you, you've been flying below the radar. You're in your early forties. You've worked on some big projects, You've done some really cool stuff, Some of it's been private or some of it's been under the you know under the in the shadow of other big name architects. and you know we've seen what happened with Keith Rebb and Riley Johns at WP nine and then they did the short course at Forest Dune. We've seen you know what you know Gil Hans did with the cradle and obviously Bill and Ben at, at, at the Preserve and then Dave Axel and Rod Whitman and you know and Keith at at uh, Shorty, you know the 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 littlest things, can some have sometimes have the biggest impact. And I'm really excited for you. I've, I've really enjoyed the walk-in talks that we've all had out there. I'm going to miss, I, I said our text thread of this group is one of my favorite things. I want it to keep going just because this project is over. I want us to all keep in touch. I, I'm going to miss you guys I already have separation anxiety. Um, I just, it's just, you know, the sense of discovery for me, whether it's travel or, you know, going and and seeing a new course or meeting a new architect, what Todd Quintino is doing at Canal Shores is another thing. You know, I haven't really met and talked to, I can't wait to see, like these little projects can have, can be the biggest stones in this, in this, in this pond of golf. And the reason why I, I support the growth of the game or say anti rollbackers is be simply because the game has given me so much, It's given everybody on this call call so much, everybody listening so much. We want it, you know, it makes better people. What Golden Gate Park is going to do is help create that camaraderie and that culture and that community aspect in which we all feel like we're a part of something. And watching all of this continue to have generational impact on the greater good of not just golfers, but as like first he says, people that's why all of this matters and why it's so feel good and why it's just fun to be a small part of and congratulations to you guys congratulations to everyone involved congratulations to the people who who put their money where their mouth is and uh and and I can't wait to continue to watch it just sort of uh you know thrive and survive and flourish and and make an impact so thank you thank you for letting us be a small part of this
4: Thank Matt, you. there's an easy easy solution to separation anxiety. Come on up. I'm out. I'll be up. I'll be <laughs> up.
0: Yeah, we got a whole nother year of pasta temple. Automatically puts me in the area. So uh, this is uh, it's going to happen, and uh, I look forward to it.
3: Thanks, you guys. Much appreciated. <laughs> Yeah, all right, thanks, great stuff. thanks so
4: much for all you've done it's it's really been special to watch you guys document and and your storytelling is uh is really unparalleled and so it's it's great for us to be able you know we knew this was going to be something special but we didn't know how to share it with the world and so uh to be able to have you guys do that uh, has meant the world to us so we appreciate all that you guys do
0: watching you taking your designs and layering them over that dirt and, wh- and now what we're going to unveil in this next part where it actually becomes something real, like your drawings themselves. Sh- I hope, Dan, this is my suggestion, take Jay's drawings, blow them up, poster size, and put them in that cl- that new clubhouse when they're going to unveil because they are so cool to just look at and see and then go actually watch the ball do what he kind of shows it's going to do. It's amazing. It's really cool.
3: Jay, are you going to charge me for that? <laughs> that he won't donate. That's what he. <laughs> maybe maybe a, Maybe a
4: burger dog or something, Dan. Maybe a burger dog. <laughs> oh. yeah.
2: All right. Well, great stuff, y'all. Um, this has been another Fire <laughs> Drill podcast for Matt Janella, Josh Lewis, Jay Blasey, and Dan Burke. This is Alan Shipnuck. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ear soon. Definitely go to firepickcollective.com. You can watch the videos, read the stories, and get either even more immersed in what's happening at Golden Gate Park Golf Course. Um, that's the end of this podcast. Goodbye.
1: I bet big and I played the win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. And now I can't shake this losing streak. Every road I take is a dead end streak. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about